Hi there, I'm Brian Colon, and I'm the creator of Rampage, the arcade game, among others, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast with Sean and Jim. How, th- how long do you think we can stall the beginning of the podcast before our listeners will notice? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should just stall for a while. How are you, Sean? This is not part of the podcast, by the way. This is just stalling. I'm kind of, kind of bored, kind of tired, so yeah. I'm just going to stall. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I yeah. My, uh, got a little bit of a, a little bit of a sty in my eye, which. Mm. One of my favorite uh, Alan Parsons project songs, by the way. Yeah. I thought that was a country song. There's a sty in my eye. There's a sty in my eye looking yeah. at you. So. Did I, t- I, did I ever tell you about the time I rode on an O'Hare shuttle bus no. sitting immediately behind Alan Parsons? Oh, you may have actually. Oh. For those of you who didn't hear, here's the story. I once rode an O'Hare shuttle bus sitting behind Alan Parsons. Are you serious? No. <laughs> oh, that was improv. Say, so don't answer me. Don't answer me. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, we are full of laughs. Oh, har, gosh. Har. Well, maybe not laughs. I know our wives would probably think, say, we're full of something else. Oh, boy. So I guess maybe we should probably actually do the official start of the podcast. I, I suppose so. I think all of okay. our listeners are gone by this point, don't you? Okay, good. Okay. They don't cool. care what we say awesome. at this point, then. So, hi, everybody who's not listening. Uh, this is uh, coming to you from uh, the frigid polar vortex of the Chicago suburb. Well, no, I'm not really technically in the statistical Chicago metropolitan statistical area, but just outside that, this is Jimmy G. And coming... Cow, and coming coming from actual Chicago, which there's no, I don't, I think the polar vortex is actually over technically. Uh, Yeah, it's coming back for a couple of days. Tom Skilling says that there's always a polar vortex every year. It's just how badly you actually feel it. Yeah, I I don't. So this year we we felt it pretty badly. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. By the way, I'm coming to you from the same neighborhood where Tom Skilling lives. Actually, oh yay. And everybody knows who Tom Skilling is. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. He's everybody the, who he's, counts. He's the brother of the guy behind the Enron scandal. And, every, and there's always some jerk off who has to, who cannot hear Tom Skilling's name without mentioning his now ex-prisoner brother. Yeah, that would be me. But think, the thing is, it, the thing I think is, he just that got out of prison. Actually, just like last oh, I, week, I couldn't tell you. But the thing is, people who don't live in the Chicago area probably don't know who Tom Skilling is, but they know probably know who the other guy is. Yeah. So you know, I'm just trying to bring it around so people yeah. who listen, the, the few that are left, can relate. Yeah, those of you who can't relate, uh, Tom Skilling is an extremely super legendary weatherman here in Chicago, and Indeed. he literally lives a few blocks away from me. You know what? Back when he was alive, when you would think of a personality and you thought of Chicago, the first play- thing people would think of was Harry Carey. I would say Tom Skilling is probably our, the current Mr. Chicago. Oh, I would think so. You could make an argument so. for that. I'd like to meet him someday. He seems like a really nice guy. Well, from what everybody who actually knows him says, what you see on TV is the actual Tom Skilling. He's always that happy and friendly. Awesome. We need more happy, friendly people. 
And when he's out in public, he does not hide himself. He wears his WGN fleece and a little hat that says WGN on it. He practically carries a sign that says, I'm Tom Skilling. And he said (laughs) that he doesn't mind people like stopping him and say, hey, Tom, because it tells him that people are watching him. That's cool. And he's like, he's like, I love, ta- I love it when people come up to me and ask me about the weather. Well, because he loves weather. You know what I would, I would do if I ever got famous. I would wear one of those T-shirts. You know, the famous one where it's, it's got an, uh, a finger or an arrow pointing or something, and it says, "I'm with stupid." Uh, I would get something with a with an arrow pointing to the left or the right, and it says, "I'm with Jim," just Ooh. to throw people off my track. You know. Hmm. I don't know what I would do if I were famous. Well, actually, if I were famous, I'd probably just buy my own island and. Uh, Island with mountains and just be a recluse, but you know, you can buy property with fame. Well, yeah, can't you? Man, I w- I'll tell you what, I would love to be able to pay my rent with exposure and experience <laughs> and thoughts and prayers. That too, that yeah. too. Thoughts and prayers. <sighs> yeah. So, um, exposure. So, uh, um, Jimmy G. Um, yes, sir. Up to what have you been? Up to what have I been? Uh, the second floor of my house, for one. I haven't gone much higher than that. Um, I have made Third another. Floor here. I have made another trek to uh, Galloping Ghost. I had oh. a reason to be home the other day, and um, now I, I'm going to mention this because it's not it's not their fault. It's the fault of the landlord. Galloping Ghost. Uh, I went when I went there. It was on a it was on a really cold day. I had to take the day off for uh, some personal business, and I was bored. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll head up there for a while and um, get out of the car. And I'm walking, there's a little parking lot next to the Chinese restaurant. And I'm walking on the sidewalk and I slipped on ice and fell and hit my head on the sidewalk. And I hit hard. And uh, I made sure I told uh, Pete Hahn about what happened. And uh, this was not their fault at all, but I guess, uh, but uh, by the time I got out, the ice was gone. But no harm, no foul. Um, I'm not any more weird than I. All right. Everybody listening, if you find yourself regularly in a cold weather climate at any point in the year trust me you want ice cleats my wife bought a couple of pairs for us and oh my god they work i'm thinking about getting some uh because i would like like to go do some more winter hiking at starved rock but uh, with the stuff that's happening with my knee lately and all the stairs that are there i might not be able to do that for a while but but any rate um but uh, but I went there and uh, you know oh I, you went there I, oh I went there I went to Galloping Ghost and I was only there for an hour because it's just like I went there and I was just not feeling it you know I was just not into it and I'm like like you know what Pete normally I would stay longer but you know I'm just I'm just not feeling it today you know how that is and he goes oh yeah I oh yeah that way. so so I rem- oh um, what did I do afterwards uh, I went to Bishop's Chili. In Westmont, which uh, unfortunately Sean can't have because they, even though you can't see it, they do cook their chili with onion, I found out. Which is a shame yeah. because their chili is so delicious. Now, you're, you are do you not like onion or are you allergic to it? I can't remember. It's a little bit of each. I mean, a little bit of each. Okay. Onion. I do have a intolerance to onion. Okay. Like, so it I'm will, not going to subject you to It will make bishops. me throw up. If you did like onion, I'm sure you would like Bishop's Chili. But as you've said before, when it comes to restaurants, I've not steered you wrong yet. So, no, I, I still haven't checked out Taste of Jerusalem. Is that the name of the place? Yeah, that's the no. It's Old Jerusalem. Old, Old Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, that's not right. too, yes. just a little couple of block or two north of uh, a Village Cycle Center. That's the other place you recommended in Chicago, and I haven't been there yet. All the other places you recommended in Chicago, I've been there, and yeah, you're pretty right on the money. 
I think I've told the Bishop's Chili story before, so I'm not going to go into it again, but uh, that was fun. And I actually, after that, went to <laughs> uh, Bass Pro Shops in Bolingbrook to see if uh, they had any um, micro spikes or ice cleats or whatever. And, of course, they were sold out. And uh, so I haven't done any more shopping for those. I was going to see if they had them at Walmart, but I didn't. But uh, so that's pretty much what I've been up to. I've uh, been playing uh, the games we're talking about tonight. Duh. Of course. Of course. I haven't really been playing too much else. I have finished Fantasy Star on the Sega Master System, which is no big thing because I, uh, because as I said, I applied a cheat to it. But uh, uh, one thing I did, I totally forgot about when playing through Man- uh, Fantasy Star. There was a sp- oh, uh, when I originally played it years back, uh, when I first had my master, first had a Master System, I actually did beat the game without cheats whatsoever, and um, I totally forgot. There's this scene where you and your other characters are having a dream and you you're dreaming that you're fighting uh, a boss and in this dream you're supposed to die there's no way you can win hmm. and one of the cheats i applied was infinite health <laughs> so i could not die which meant i couldn't continue the game <laughs> i restored the 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 original unaltered rom so that i could get past that and then i put the the, the hacked rom back in but uh, I had totally uh, forgotten about that scene when I first sat down to play Fantasy Star. I'm probably going to go through it again at some point, just regularly, without any sort of cheats applied. But uh, but I remember why I really liked that game and why it's one of the few RPGs I really can play and enjoy. But, yeah, I just, for the most part, just don't really enjoy RPGs. Uh, I do need to... I, get, I don't at all. I need to get back into Yeez, but... I think the the other game that I've played that I really enjoyed, which was RPG like, but not real, but not quite, was uh, Legend of Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, which it had like the hit point stuff and all of that, and involved in it as well. But it was a more of an action RPG rather than one where you're like going around and you have to stop and you know, you know, one turn at a time sort of battles. And I'm like, I I just can't do that. If I'm gonna do an RPG, it'll be a, it'll be an action-oriented one. But uh, have I been played? Have I played anything else? Not really. Now my Sega Saturn is working. Oh, um, good. Uh, sort of good because I don't have any games for it, <laughs> and games for it are insanely expensive. I do have to say thanks to uh, Bobby Idad, a fan of the show, for uh, sending me Thank out you, a. Uh, a controller that works. I for all this time I thought it was like a board that was on the thing, but no, it was something simple as a con- the controller wasn't just wasn't working. I don't know why I thought it was the board inside, but maybe you were just bored inside. Ooh, maybe it was both too, though. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But it's uh, it's working, and I can play CDs on it. I tested that out with uh, one of the George Carlin CDs you gave me a while back, and um, I'm uh, excited to get this going. I'm probably gonna shell out a few bucks for. One of the, uh, what is the cartridge? It's um, it's not Game Genie. It's something like that. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. But they, there's one that they make that has like four megabytes of additional memory for the console. And there is a yeah. way to hack it to where it'll allow you to play uh, CDRs on it. So I'm probably going to go that route. Uh, you can either do it yourself, which requires you having a, a, an actual game first. Or you can... Um, just buy one off of eBay or Amazon with that already applied. I might go that route. I think it's a little expensive, 
but I'm probably gonna go that route because there's some games I want to try for that. Everyone says says that uh, the one game for it that you really must play is Panzer Dragoon, and I've seen some uh, I've seen some video of that, and it looks really really fun. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see about that, but I might not be able to do anything with that until Midwest Gaming Classic. So. There's that. Uh-huh. That'd probably be a good place to look for some cheap games. But the thing is, I think all the cheap oh, ones yeah. are fighting games, which I'm not really interested in. Well, of course. Yeah, but there you go. So that's pretty much what I've been up to, other than nothing else, really. I've been really busy. My kids have been having a lot of uh, after-school stuff. You know, Spring Musical is coming up, and my kids are involved with that. In fact, I was, I'm amazed I actually was able to do any research for tonight's episode because of that. And, uh, you know, transporting kids, kids hither, thither, and yon. So, mm. But it's all for good cause. Uh, they're doing uh, they're doing a musical called Pippin. Ah, yes, from Stephen Schwartz. I've never heard of it. The only Pippin I've heard of is Scotty Pippin of the Chicago Balls. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, he's the only Pippin that matters. That's true. How about you, my friend? What have you been up to? Hello? I'm waiting for your friend to answer. That wouldn't, you're not my friend. Oh, you mean me? Yeah. <gasps> oh my. Uh, okay. Um, well, let's see. The Sunday after episode 89 was released, just as I said, 89. I went to Underground Retrocade, braved the snow to get there, and uh, I accidentally got the house high on Star Trek strate- Strategic com- Something Simulator. I suddenly hey, forgot you got the, the whole, whole house high? Well, I think I think that they had just put it out because wow. I, I got like I I was playing it and I was doing a hell of a lot better than I ever did before. I was like, man, I'm having a good time, and I what, what got were they, something uh, like what were they piping through the ventilation system? You got the whole house high. I I don't know, man, but uh, I got like fifty thousand something points, and you know, and a couple of days later, I was like, wait, it was a message on the. Uh, underground retrocade patrons page and just about every week there's an update of who scored what it's like hey hey sean the fat guy from pie factory podcast he got the house high on star trek strategic air strategic coleco vision coleco vision version uh star trek strategic operation simulator or star trek sos yeah, I'm gonna have to keep an eye out on that though, because I have a feeling that that is not gonna last. In fact, it's probably already been like quadrupled by now. Yeah, thanks, Matt and Jim, Jim White and yeah. Matt Merck. I don't think James White goes there that much though. No, he might not. I've seen him there before, but he's he's usually been hanging around at. Uh, he's been of course Prince quite Ghost. a bit lately. And I've been playing Cubert's Cubes a lot more lately because I'm really like cocanically addicted to that game. Cocanically. And I think my highest score is like 270 some thousand so far. Oh, wow. I've gotten to level seven. I don't know how that happened. But once you get past level five, that's when all the cubes, they don't get locked anymore. Like once you turn them into the right position, you can, you yourself as Cubert can knock them out of the right position, which is basically the equivalent of say level five in the original Cubert in which the color changing is three ways. Uh, one thing I want to uh, addend, kind of a kind of a stupid little simple addend. You know what that sounds like to me? Addenda inerata. It sounds like an addendum. So, uh, Hyde, yep. can we open up addenda inerata, please? Real quick. Okay, there we go. That's good. 
All right. More addendum and errata to share. Going back to our, uh, we were talking about uh, Sinistar. Uh, lately, oh. I've been having a hankering to play Sinistar. And I've been playing it quite a bit lately. Uh, as I had mentioned when I went to uh, Prince Arcade, one of the first things I did was go over to the Sinistar machine to get my fix. Uh, once you learn how to play that game, it's really quite addicting. But um, I just realized today, because I was playing it with cheats on just to... I don't know, just to bide time for now, I guess. But uh, there was at one point I decided... Oh, I remember why I was putting cheats on. Is because I wanted to see what happened if you were on the same screen as the Sinistar. If it was, the Sinistar was in the area you're in, when the workers put the final piece in there, what exactly happens? It's nothing really special. I mean, he just says, beware, I live, and his mouth moves, just like you expect him to. Yeah. But that, that was the whole reason I'd put the cheats on in invincible mode and whatever. But uh, I found this out, that if there's no sounds going on at all, when you bump against something like a, a, an enemy ship or a... Meat thermometer? Yeah, a meat thermometer. An asteroid? It makes a sound when you bump up against something. Just a little boom, boom. So that was interesting. And uh, the uh, the errata I wanted to address. Uh, I somehow mispronounced the programmer developer behind Kubert's Cubes. That was Neil Bernstein. So mm-hmm. my apologies to um, Neil. Uh, I somehow dropped off the N in my notes. Even though I had been playing that game like crazy and clearly saw his name on the screen every time I played it. And also, I realized I was mispronouncing David Thiel's name, too. It's uh, I was saying David Thiel. It's Thiel. And his name, the T-H, is pronounced like a real uh, T-H. So, yes, my mm. apologies to uh, David uh, Thiel, too. Oh, and also, I think I have to correct something I said a, a few minutes ago. Uh, it's levels 6, 7, and 8 in which your matching target cubes, where you can uh, rotate them out of proper position. And then level 9, they lock again. But you have to get four tic-tac-toes. Ah, okay. And then level 10, it goes back to uh, the correct cubes are no longer locked. And then level 11, they are locked. And uh, what happens is levels 9 through 11 repeat that pat. They, they just repeat uh, as long as you play. So, yeah, that's uh, Cuber Cubes, Denda, and Arata. Cubert's Cubes. Uh, they belong to him. Any other any other Arata addenda? No, no more addenda and errata. Oh. But we do have an email from Eugenio. Shall I start? I shall. Okay, thank you. So Eugenio says, Hello, Sean and Jim. Hello. Hello. Um, I hope all is well. Okay, what is going on? Two episodes back to back? Now I have more to get caught up with. Not a problem, of course. It just makes my emails longer. Before I start with game feedback, however, I want to share with you that my latest article is out on the Retro Gaming Times, and this one covers Pac-Man games on the Atari Lynx and the Atari Jaguar. Jaguar. The link is at the yeah, end of the email. Jaguar. So we will uh, we will put that in the show notes, or as the ten pence guys say, the no shots. I also have an addendum to share. When, on one of my previous emails, I discussed Avalanche and how the closest thing I had played was Kaboom. Guess what? I was wrong. I didn't even remember that Shampoo Games made a homebrew port of the game for the 2600. Yep, back in 2007. I even posted on the AA thread from 2007. As it was mentioned in the previous episode, it does look like Shampoo Games will be completing the game this year and releasing it in cart. I'm eager to see what he does with that game. Yeah, I I, I actually am too. Uh, as I said, I had played 
Avalanche on the Atari 8-bit computer, and it was, well, there's not much to the game, so it was exactly like the arcade, but uh, interesting to see what he does with the uh, the 2600 version, but I kind of liked Avalanche, but that's just me. So, uh, with that, it's time to start sharing actual game feedback, so here it goes. One, columns. My first experience with columns came from playing the game on my Sega Genesis. I did not know the game was an arcade title that had been ported to the system, but given the name is a Sega title, or the game is a Sega title, it makes perfect sense. I'm a fan of puzzle games, and Columns is no exception. At first glance, a player may think this is nothing more than a take on Tetris, but the gameplay is different enough to make this its own game. Moving the colored pieces around to get them to match in the right sequence so that they can be erased from the board is a challenge on its own. I'll be honest, though, and, and say that though I do like Columns, I don't enjoy it as much as I like Tetris. And speaking of Tetris, uh -huh. number two, Tetris. So where do I start? My first exposure to Tetris was when my aunt bought a Game Boy, a few, in quotation marks, years ago. I remember looking at the Game Boy and feeling like mocking it because of the grayscale screen, but I had to admit that this game where one has to form lines by organizing different shapes which are made of four squares was immediately addicting. It was hard setting the Game Boy down that day, I think he meant to say. Over the years, I made it a point to get any version of Tetris I could find for any of the systems I owned. Heck, even for things other than game consoles. I remember I bought the game for my Palm Tungsten, and I spent tons of time playing it, and I have since gotten a version for any smartphone I've owned. I got versions for the Atari 2600, the best of which is Chitiri. I got versions for my NES, for my Genesis. I have clones for my Jaguar. Jagtris, anyone? I have versions on my PSP. I can keep going, but you get the picture. What I have never played, though, is the arcade version. Not once. Hmm. I've never seen a machine for it. Now, I do have to share this story about Tetris with you. When I was still doing my medical residency, I was moonlighting at an urgent care center one of the hospitals had opened. Traffic was slow there, though, so we spent our time doing lots of other things. One day, I sat at the word processor that center had to type some documents, and when I got done, I noticed one choice in the menu that had an L shape with some weird name. I wasn't sure what it was, but I figured I'd select it out of curiosity. Much to my surprise, what opened up was a perfect clone of Tetris. I started to play, and then the secretary noticed, and then the secretary got, security guy noticed, and then the nurse noticed. Well, it became our time killer for months. So we may not have played arcade Tetris, but I sure have gotten to play it on a word processor. And I think I mentioned before in the uh, in the, the Spy Hunter episode, where uh, in one of the versions of, uh, it was like Word, Microsoft Word, They in one of them they had Spy Hunter hidden, one of them had a Doom-like game hidden, uh, there was Excel, one of them had a Magic 8-Ball hidden in it, and it was fun over time finding a bunch of these. I think they were yeah. pretty much all like in Office 97, but uh, it was still... Interesting. Yeah, they spend all that time putting those Easter eggs in it, yet they don't make enough effort to make the damn thing not crash all the time. Bingo! That was, uh, that was, and I remember the Spy Hunter actually being pretty cool. It was like a way that they hid the, uh, the names of the, the programmers of Word, Excel. Um, Access had something. No, Access, I think, was the, was the, the Magic 8-Ball. And Excel was Doom, and Word was Spy Hunter. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to look uh, at eeggs.com, but uh, I'm not going to right now. But uh, you want to take the next couple? Crater Raider. Here's a game I never heard about, so I immediately did some online research about it. I noticed there were no home ports of this game, but I did not know why that was until I listened to that episode. Looks like the control mechanism is the reason. It does look like a fun game, though, based on the videos I watched on YouTube. Maybe I need to find a machine so I can emulate the Raman MAME and try to play this game. Uh, I'm going to interrupt right here and just uh, uh, talk about something. Uh, we did get a message on Facebook 
uh, about how it just seems that with all the games that use some kind of roller that you just don't find a video game controller that has a roller on it. Was it Ralph Tribble? I think might've been. Yeah. I think it was Ralph Tribble posted a link that had a story about a video game controller. It had a joystick. It was a left-handed joystick, uh, but it had a, it had a left-handed joystick and it had a roller controller on it. I forgot what the link was and I can't find the actual post. But what I, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to do is uh, link it in the show notes. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, you guys talk about lack of spinners on current controllers. I recently picked one of these up, and he wanted to try it on Tron. It's the Mad Cat's Xbox Live Retro Stick. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, uh, and I looked that up on eBay. That was uh, That's long, long, long uh, not... Uh, Oh yeah, it's from uh, twelve years ago. Yeah, and um, I believe if looking at that, there was not a trigger on the joystick. I think. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. But I did some digging about finding a way to build a um, a rotary controller for uh, for Windows, and um, somebody I saw a really simple like cludge uh, that somebody did using a mouse, a uh, an optical mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, basically. You drill like a hole in the bottom to put like a dowel, and then on that you mount a disc, and with the put in, you put a knob on it, and then you put cut out like a piece of foam or whatever so you can rest the mouse upside down, and you just spin the dial on top of it. And I'm like, that's pretty ingenious. It's a clutch, but uh, it's pretty ingenious. And I was thinking hmm, I might try that sometime. Oh, might you? I might. I might not. Uh-huh. You never know. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, getting back to uh, Eugenio, Cubert's Cubes. Here is another game that I've never had the chance to play in the arcade. I actually didn't know of the existence of Cubert's Cubes until only about five years ago when I saw the 2600 version listed on Atari Age. I was quite curious about the game and downloaded the binary to give it a try, but found myself utterly confused with no clue about what to do. I assumed it would be similar to the original game, but this was totally different and I couldn't tell what was happening. So I gave up on it. I figured my problems were due to the limitations of the 2600, but I didn't try to get the instructions, which I clearly needed to learn how to properly play the game. Unfortunately, I haven't really given the game much of a chance, but at least I know now how the arcade game works from watching videos. I supposed I should give the 2600 version another chance, since that's the only home version that seems to exist of this game. Of course, I can always make it to Chicago to play the real thing. Well, Brookfield, actually. Now, didn't we say Cubers Cubes was also on the ColecoVision? It's on the ColecoVision, and there's a Commodore 64 playable prototype. That's what I thought. Yeah, and uh, the ColecoVision version does not have Sheldon Turtle. Yes. Yeah, I believe that's right. So, yeah. uh, five and six are about the games we're talking about today. Shall we read Ooh. them? Uh, let's read them later. Okay. And, uh, so, but we'll close out his email though. We'll yeah. say five and points, five and six for later, but, uh, we'll close out the email. That's it for now, guys. Keep up the good work. I'm sure the pod father is pleased going to the final frontier gaming Eugenio. So there you go. Doesn't and he we have a, a theme on the 2600 game by game podcast? Does. He does. It's like, yeah. it's like almost every other person on there has a, has a theme of some sort when they, write in or send a, an MP3 or, you know, an audio file. Well, if, to they, if they like write something in every episode. Yeah, that's true. Cause uh, I was thinking about making my own theme, but I realized I don't have much in the way of musical talent. So actually I'm not terrible singer, but 
that's debatable. Well, I mean, the only class I did get A's in in high school was choir. There we go. So, all right. Uh, do we have any more addenda and errata or letters I or news? Do, or? I, I, I really do not believe um, so. Uh, what about an Atari age? What do we have there? Uh, Atari age. Oh, yay. Let's uh, check out Atari age and the... Uh, uh, we have a message from Newt Monkey. Um, oh, do we now? It's just short here. It's, uh, I love this podcast, at least as much, if not more, than the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast. Dauber, you've got a great voice and presence and are very well spoken. And you've got great Thank chemistry you. with Jim. Okay, I agree with this first point, but not the second point. <clears throat> um, you guys have kept me company on lots of bike rides and jogs and also on, also on some long and cold walks back from bars. 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 So, bike rides and bars. That's the Chicago way, isn't it? Bars and bike rides. Mm-hmm. God, I haven't been on my bike since January. Me neither. It's, like the beginning and, and of January. And it's not so much the weather. It's more like I, I don't know where the ice is, and I don't want to have another wipeout. Well, me, with me, it's pretty much the weather, and now I'm having some issues with my knee. I got to get looked at. So I'll I'm bet you biking will help. That always helped me with my knee. Well, we'll see. But I'm hoping it's nothing serious because I don't want to get knee surgery until at the very least the end of the year so after you know i've met my deductible on my insurance there you go so all right there we Did are you ever have a time when you hoped it was something serious hmm why so serious no not really but i don't we didn't want it to be silly either so oh there's a, a new podcast out a retro game club yes and i actually listened to the first episode today and yeah. it stars Hughes from... Uh, Hugh. From he pronounces Hugh? it Hugh. Oh, okay. It's pronounced... It's spelled Hughes, but uh, pronounced Hugh from the old uh, lamented uh, Retro League podcast. And a um, bit of a different format. It sounds like they're taking more of a more of a uh, emulation slash uh, programming bent when it comes to the games that they're talking about. Yeah. And... Uh, oh, wonderful to see him at a retro, at a Midwest Gaming Classic again. Uh, he'll probably be there. Um, yeah, he is so easy to spot. He looks kind of like Fabio. <laughs> uh, we'll let him know when we see him yeah, again. I looked up and I saw, oh, hey, Hugh, what's going on? Man? I had never seen him before. Yeah. Then, so. No, I saw his picture on Twitter once. Oh, okay. So um, so hopefully we'll see him again. And uh, I think we will because he meant, I think believe he mentioned it on episode zero of the Retro Game Club podcast. So I've been uh. listening to that. And I've been listening to, what else have I been listening to? Yeah, just my regular slew of podcasts as well. So mm. there you go. Yeah, same here, same here. Um, did you hear? Um, oh, Tim I Pence? am proud to say this. Snake? Uh, there's, a, there's a new podcast out hosted by Mo Rocca. It's called Mobituaries. Yeah. And he's, he basically talks about dead people, like famous dead people that he admires. And like he, ta- he had a, an episode about Sammy Davis Jr. recently. And there was a very brief moment of it when somebody he was interviewing was talking about how Sammy Davis Jr. and, oh, God, somebody else, I forgot who she was, uh, some famous actress or singer or something, they would love to play Ms. Pac-Man with each other. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I, had to, I had to retweet that, and Mo liked our retweet. Woo-hoo! So hopefully uh, Mo's listening to Pie Factory Podcast. Woo-hoo! Awesome. So I think with all that, should we uh, maybe talk about a game or two? Oh, let's talk about a game or two. Oh, let's talk about what, a game. What or two. gamer would you like to talk about? Uh, well? You know, uh, why don't we talk about the game I was t- I was tasked with uh, 
well, not really test with because I wanted to talk about this one. Uh, the game that I uh, selected to talk about. And that oh, is, good. So go ahead and tell us about Pigskin 621 AD. Ah, well, wait. Oh, I studied the wrong game. Uh, well, okay, so, I guess that means that I studied the right one then. Oh, good. So I was I, convinced I had the wrong one. For the past two weeks, I was convinced I was looking at the wrong one. So naturally, I didn't check with you. Uh-huh. What a dilly we would have been in. Fortunately, I did research on Boulder Dash, so there you go. Uh, aha! Boulder Dash. And yes, so, there was an arcade game of Boulder Dash. In fact, there were a couple of them, come to oh, find really? out. Oh, uh, really? But the one we're talking about, although I will mention the other one, uh, the one we are mostly talking about is the version from Exidy. Uh, this is a really interesting game. First of all, anyone who's had an 8-bit computer, or even a 16-bit computer, knows Boulder Dash. It's the classic game of where you got this guy named Rockford, and you're in this mine, underground, whatever. And uh, the object is to collect all of the gems in the maze uh, before time runs out. And once you collect them all, you have to find the exit and exit the maze. And you got assorted different enemies and stuff. But uh, a little bit about the cabinet first. It's uh, It's got a few buttons on it. It's uh, got your normal action button, and it's got your four-way joystick. It's also got a start, select, and option button on the machine. And uh, the reason it has that, will be uh, we will get to that in a few minutes here, because this is a really interesting cabinet, which I have actually seen. At any rate, Boulder Dash, you got to go through these different mazes, in, like I was saying. And sometimes the mazes don't automatically have gems in them. So what you got to do is drop some rocks on top of enemies. And there are several different enemies. There are... Is that a um, euphemism for something? Um... <laughs> wouldn't you like to know but uh the enemies you have are fireflies and if you drop a rock on them they will explode and uh, come out and create a whole bunch of jewels or like in a three by three pattern so like nine and then of course there are butterflies they do the same thing. The only thing difference is they fly the opposite direction of the fireflies. Uh, then there is the amoeba, which is a green blob where if you can trap it with uh, with boulders, and the boulders work well just like the boulders in Dig Dug, where if you dig under them, they just go straight down. And if you push up, if you stand under it, pushing up, they will... Actually, I don't think you have to push up in this one, but if you stand under it for a moment, they'll stay there until you move out of the way. If you trap amoebas with with the boulders, then they will turn into a bunch of gems. However, if they occupy 200 squares in the maze, which they keep growing, then all of those places will turn into boulders, which I've never seen that because I can't get past the third level on this game. And there's only 16 levels on this game. Oh, some other things in there. There's like regular brick walls that you can't drop anything through. And then there's also enchanted walls where if you drop boulders through them, they, uh, the boulders that fall through will turn into jewels, but only if there are, are ju well, they're jewels, not gems. Or diamonds. They could be diamonds, but they look like diamonds, but the, the manual calls them jewels. But uh, if you drop a wall, if you drop a boulder through them and there's space underneath, they will turn into gems. The exterior wall is a titanium wall. And, uh, you know, then I mentioned the escape door or the exit, actually. But there are 16 different mazes. First, the first maze is the intro, where you just pick up jewels and exit, you know, before time runs out. And then you got diff different rooms where you pick up the jewels, but you have boulders and a few fireflies. Uh, then you got a maze, which is really difficult um, to get through. And then you got next group, next cave is called Butterflies, 
where there are no jewels. You have to drop boulders on the butterflies to create them. Then you got one called Guards, the flyer, Firefly Den, uh, Amoeba. But then you got a level called Amoeba, and then you got an enchanted wall, one called Enchanted Wall, Greed, Tracks, Crowd, Walls, Apocalypse. And uh, you make the butterflies and the amoeba touch in that, in that level to uh, make the jewels appear. Uh, then one called Zigzag Funnel, and then Enchanted Boxes. Enchanted. So, yes, and uh, levels aren't numbered. They're lettered A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, J, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Uh, as far as scoring goes, um, I don't know. You get 500 points. When you get 500 points, you get an extra Rockford, which I understand is a fine, fine album by Cheap Trick from a few years ago. I've yet to hear it, but uh, I heard it's one of their best. And the point values are ter- determined by the cave difficulty level and bonus status. And you can choose which of several levels to select or several, not several levels, several caves to select, as I just mentioned off there. You can select uh, the intro, the guards, the greed, or the apocalypse level from the beginning. And then there are five different difficulty levels you can select at the beginning, too. Uh, As far as the joystick button goes, if you press the joystick button and push in a direction, left, right, up, down, whatever, uh, it will clear that piece of dirt or grab a gem that's there. Now, anything that falls on top of you will kill you. Any touch with an enemy will kill you. The way that the physics work in this game is, say like you got an open space and boulder gem or whatever falls, if there was anything above it, it will keep falling and it'll go, say like there's one gem, another boulder comes down, it'll move to the right, another one comes down, it'll move to the left of that one. And then the next one will stand right on top because it doesn't have anywhere to go to the left or the right. And then whatever comes on top of that one will go to the right and to the left, right to the left of that pyramid and just keep going up and up. Now, if there's like dirt on each side and there's like a boulder or a gem underneath there that has space on the sides, whatever's above it won't fall. It takes a little bit getting used to the physics, especially starting on maze, the maze level, which is level C, which is the one I can never get past. Uh, Almost got past it the other day. I ran out of freaking time. I think I may have mentioned before, I've been trying to catch up. I've been listening to back episodes. When I'm caught up with all of my weekly podcasts, I've been listening to back episodes of Antic. And uh, just recently, I listened to uh, interview number 66, which they talked to the the programmer of uh, Boulder Dash for the Atari 8-bit computers, and that is Peter Lipa, Peter L-I-E-P-A. He actually translated it from another language to assembly language, but basically it was pretty much his project because he didn't have much contact with the original programmer, even though he was on the uh, in all the credits. But uh, you might want to check that out. It was episode 66 of the Antic podcast. Link in the show notes. So, excuse me, a little trivia about Boulder Dash here. This was on Exidy's Max of Flesh game system, or arcade system, and there were four games released for it. Boulder Dash, Astro Chase, Flip and Flop, and Bristles. And I've played Boulder Dash, Astro Chase, and Bristles on the Atari uh, 65XE. Now, I had mentioned how there there was a Start, Select, and Option button on uh, on the cabinet. Well, there's a reason for that, because this arcade machine is literally an Atari 600XL computer in an arcade cabinet. And when I say literally... I was doing some research on this uh, arcade system here. If you go to classicarcademuseum.org, there was an article from several years back on the Maxiflex system, and they had a picture of the inside of the cabinet, and there was literally an Atari 600 XL computer attached to the inside of the cabinet sans keyboard. It was still in the shell and everything. 
So technically, I have a Boulder Dash machine under my desk. Indeed you do. And the games for the system were the exact same as the Atari 8-bit versions. And what happened was, <laughs> they were making these other games, Astro Chase, Flip and Flop, and Bristles, available for the system through Exidy for 100 bucks. Apparently the reason they did this is because Exidy was trying to find a way to save money on hardware development so they could just release uh, release games, and they someone there hit on this. The whole story is at ClassicArcadeMuseum.org. Really interesting article. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. But, oh, one thing I did forget to mention here on this. Each credit that you pumped into the machine, each token, gave you a certain amount of gameplay time, like the Nintendo PlayChoice 10 system. There was an actual LED display in the bezel of this machine, which gave you showed you how many seconds. There were like 300 seconds or whatever. And the thing is, when the timer got down to 10 seconds of time left, the cabinet would make you know, progressively higher-pitched audio sounds, which informed the player that they needed to insert more credits. Now, when the timer got to zero, the controls on the game go dead, but the game doesn't reset. So you could run out of time and still have like three or four lives left, and they would just be stuck there until all of your lives were lost. Huh. So if somebody else wanted to play the game from the start, they'd have to wait until, even though the timer was out, they'd have to wait until you, all the other lives were lost because all the controls were shut off. And that is stupid. <laughs> um, Good Lord. Like I said, this was literally an Atari 600 XL, and even though Exidy only released the other three games for this particular system, and they were charging 100 bucks a pop for each of them, uh, which also included a new uh, marquee, of course, but apparently... You could just plug in any old standard Atari 8-bit computer cartridge into this machine. From what I understand from the research I did, that there was no sort of lockout. There was no hardware lockout. There was nothing to prevent you from putting a different cartridge in here. I want one of these cabinets, <laughs> actually, now. Because I think this would be kind of cool for a home thing. Apparently, there were only fewer than 400 cabinets sold. Uh, Exidy said that they had sold more, like 1,200, but uh, from what uh, they were saying in the Classic Arcade Museum article, that they could only really find that less than 400 were sold. Now, I was mentioning that there was one other Boulder Dash game in the arcade. I think there were a couple more, but the only other one I really found, there was a Boulder Dash arcade game by Data East, which was released as a standalone cabinet or further deco system, which I believe we've talked about in the Burger Time episode. Yes, we did. And I'm going to come right out and say, while I like Boulder Dash as an arcade implementation, this was a really lazy, poor implementation. It was obvious that they cut corners. I mean, like I said, I mean, they admitted they just wanted to find a way to cut development costs. This is a really lazy implementation of a really good game. The Boulder Dash put out by Data East is more like an arcade game. It has its own levels. The graphics are spruced up. It's a much, much better version of Boulder Dash for the arcade. It still has a home game feel. I like it better as an arcade game than I do on this. And I guess you know what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to just come right out and say it. I'm rating this implementation of Boulder Dash a 2. Uh-huh. I love Boulder Dash. The game itself, I think, rates a 4 out of 5. But this implementation of it, I'm giving a 2 out of 5. Because, as I said, it's just lazy what Exidy did here. It's they, they just wanted to make a quick buck off of this. This is the biggest yeah. this is the biggest cash grab I've ever seen in the arcade ever. Even given all of the games that have continues in that, this game was nothing more than a cash grab. That actually backfired 
but it is it was created as nothing. Well, as I just said, I keep repeating myself. Yeah. I keep repeating myself. So I'm just gonna stay say it right there. Can I say something then? You may say something then. I'm gonna go one on this. Really? Because doesn't surprise me. I I was very just the whole thought of this game just annoyed me. I could I really could not stand playing it. And I think a big part of it was here it is 1990. Mm-hmm. Why am I theoretically paying tokens or quarters to play something that I can play for free on my home computer? Mm-hmm. This it was embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, and you're talking about how it's all about, you know, re- reducing costs. When has reducing costs ever in history resulted in a better product, better quality? I'm talking about like things that are specifically meant just to reduce costs. Right. When when has anything ever improved because of that? It may in some cases match the existing quality, but improving no, not at all. The thing and is, I would like, agree with you. In fact, you know what? I'm going to change my my grade to a one. I can be very influential. Yes, you can. Or is that influenza? I don't know. Are you feeling okay? I don't know. I'm a little hot, according to all the ladies. Then it's influenza, then. But yeah, I I just no, just no, 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 no. There is one thing that did impress me, though. Oh. That Exidy was still around in 1990, because, I don't know, it just doesn't seem that I ever heard about them after, say, 1982. Oh, you know what? Hmm? When I was originally thinking of the theme for this episode, I don't think this came out in 1990. I think the Data East version did. (gasps) Oh. And we're not talking about the Data East version, which I have never seen the Data East version in the arcade. I screwed up the theme. <laughs> well, actually, the Data East version was in 1990. The the Exidy one was 1984. Ah, okay. Which makes more sense. I was actually playing the Data East version for this episode. I didn't know there was another one. Really? Yes. You, you didn't play the Exidy one. I I played the only ROM I could find, and it was Data East. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, literally you played the wrong game. We've joked about it in the past, but this you time. Say, okay. We, it was Boulder Dash from 1990. That's the one I played. Which, oh man. You played the wrong game. Well, yes, uh, yes and no. Well, Boulder Dash was <laughs> released in 1990. <laughs> was released in 1990, just not the version I'm talking about, which is the version I actually did play in the arcade. Uh, back in the 80s at the Aladdin's Castle in the Chicago Loop, uh, which I've played Blaster there and a couple of other games. Wait, there I've was, a, there was a, an Aladdin's Castle in the Loop? Yeah, there was. Wait, My dad where? had to go downtown Chicago for some legal situation. I can't remember what it was. And he gave me $50 and told me, uh, you know, meet him back at the law office in like three hours. I got lunch. I went around looking at in stores. A guy tried to sell me a Nintendo handheld thing for 50 bucks. I only had 50 bucks, so I passed on it. Uh, went to Aladdin's castle, played some games, went, got some lunch, and then went back to the law offices. Huh. Yeah. So that, I played this version of Bold, the Exidy version of Boulder Dash in Chicago at the Aladdin's castle. Well, guess who never played either of them outside <laughs> of MAME? You. Because, again, again, I do not advocate emulating unless you actually own the uh, original game itself. Um, I think Ferg borrowed mine. But you do have the hardware. For the Exidy version of Boulder Yes, Dash. I do. I do. Yes. Wait, for the Exidy version or the... Uh, the Exidy yeah, version. Ver- 
Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have the Atari 600 XL. Yes, you do. I've got a 65XE, which is based on the same hardware. Based so, on the same hardware, but it's a little bit more powerful. Yeah. So I pretty much have the Wow. For once, we actually own the hardware. Yes. Not necessarily the software, but we own the hardware. Because <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, that the Atari 600XL did that? No, that was not. And now the, I'm looking at the Exidy Boulder Dash, and it's like, oh. Yes. Oh. Okay, well, maybe we could think of a different theme for the end of the episode then. <laughs> wow. So. Well, <laughs> well, anyway, that's okay, because uh, I usually like to look up the high scores. <laughs> and the uh, high scores for Boulder Dash, neither version of Boulder Dash is listed on Orcade.com, E-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, which tells me that at least none of the arcades that participate in Orcade.com actually have it. doesn't mean they don't exist anywhere. It just means that nobody who's uh, associated with Orcade.com and nobody reported a uh, location that has either version of Boulder Dash. And as for the twin galaxies... They also do not track it. There's no track for it right now. So I don't know. I don't know what the high scores are. I just don't know. So, yeah. It definitely looks like some of these are in the hands of collectors. So I'm... I'm sure of it. I would, like I said, I would love to get one of these, but really, just looking at this one picture, all I need is a six, is an Atari computer of some sort and an arcade cabinet. <laughs> hmm. Go to the link for the uh, that, that we provided for the uh, classicarcademuseum.org. Oh, which is uh, Twin Galaxies. Not Twin Galaxies. That's, um, oh, what's the place up in New Hampshire? Um, Fun Spot. Fun Spot. Yeah, I believe this is Fun Spot, actually. Just check out the pictures of this uh, of the Exidy machine. And just look what a freaking kludge this is. As I said, the Atari XE computer, or the Atari X600XL computer does not have the keyboard and is literally attached to a piece of wood on the inside of the cabinet and the power supply is hanging from a bracket next to it and there's like a board that they uh, clutched up for the uh, for the marquee and for the controls and there's a little box sitting next to it that's got the other uh, the other cartridges that uh, Exidy put out which again are basically the arcade the actual titles I don't s- let me see do they have I don't see here where the game is actually plugged in because there's nothing in the cartridge slot, but it could be. They could have a different cartridge slot, which isn't in the photo there. But yeah, this is, if you see this picture, you'll see what I'm talking about when I say this thing is cheap. Uh, it, it, it's, it's embarrassing, really. This, this machine is embarrassing uh, for an arcade use, but for a collector, this might not be too bad if you want to hook plug, plug your own games into it. So... I don't know. So that's what yeah, I'm, I'm looking keep. at it right now. And I mean, you wouldn't know from the outside of it, but why the hell did they, did they rip the keyboard off that thing? Probably, they may have had to, to move the, uh, the, the start, select an options button to the, uh, to the control panel. Oh, that's true. Cause yeah. if you see in that picture, there is a cable going from where the keyboard normally would be up to like a little PC, a tiny PCB. Yeah. And yeah. then it looks like that might go to the, um, uh, to the, uh, potato peeler. Yeah. That goes to the, uh, to the control panel. Oh wait, there's a ribbon cable there. It goes somewhere. 
I wonder if that's no that ribbon cable. There, I'm sorry, this ribbon cable is actually where the uh, start, select, and option button would be, and that goes somewhere. Oh man, I'm gonna have to check eBay later to see if there are any Atari 600 XLs without the keyboard. Ooh, then you can make you, one you of know, these. I'll bet you somebody might have one for sale for parts and not know that it was once a uh, Exidy Boulder Dash machine. Ooh, you might be. You might be right. Interesting. Because there's every once in a while you see something like that, and it's like, do they realize what they have? <laughs> Case in point, my my wife's high school friend who played piano at our wedding, his mother did not know that the Beatles Yesterday and Today album that she had could easily fetch her thousands of dollars because it had a butcher cover under it. Hmm. Uh, Google butcher cover Beatles if you don't know what that means. But yeah. So anyway. Sorry for the confusion, folks, but there were two two boulder dashes. The Exidy one, which I talked about, the Data East one, which Sean played. And, and uh, hated. And hated. And then, of I course... I might have a different opinion about the Exidy one now. <laughs> like, I, 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 I kind of like the Data East one. I really like boulder dash, the 8-bit versions. I actually had the boulder dash construction set on the Atari ST when I had an ST way back when. And uh, really liked that, but like I said, this was just really lazy. Just a quick yeah, and this cap, is something I would never pay for either. I just get a public domain version of it. Mm-hmm. So actually, <sighs> I did yeah. also have a public domain version of uh, of Boulder Dash for the Atari ST called Skull Diggery instead of Skull Duggery, and uh-huh. instead of boulders, they were skulls. But it played exactly the same, and I rather enjoyed that, especially because that was one of the few games on the Atari ST that actually ran. In high-res mode, which was black and white on the monochrome monitor. And um, that was fun to have a game on that, which, you know, black and white, but it was still fun. It's kind of just pretend you're playing on a higher-resolution Game Boy and you were set. I think, is that all we have to say about Boulder Dash, then? That's all I have to say about it. But yeah, my one it goes for the Data East version. And my one goes for the Exidy version. Yeah. Again, love Boulder Dash. Hate the Exidy version. I I guess maybe for episode 91, I will try the uh, uh, Exidy version and get back to you. There you go. Do that. You do that. So, see, we already have an addenda and errata. There we, yeah, we do, don't we? Yep. So, what do you say we move on here? I say we move on here, and since it's my turn to talk, I might as well realize, hey, there's something else we forgot. Even though I haven't been doing all the talking here, my throat is very dry, so I need to have a drink. Let's see, do I have a drink hand? Oh, I do. Are we opening Sean's drinking arena late? Yes, we should. Let's let's do that. Uh, this is the last of the weird sodas here. Uh, this is the ever-popular ranch dressing soda from Lester's Fixins. I thought you already tried this one. No, you already tried this one. Ah. You already tried it, and I can already tell right now, this stuff smells nasty. I'm I'm not really looking forward to this at all. There's one more Lester's Fixins drink that this place has that I didn't try yet. It's just maple syrup, and I'm thinking, eh, is there really a point to trying that since I already tried the maple bacon? The I would say know, probably not. Maple probably maple not. syrup flavored soda actually sounds pretty good, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But I and I said I liked the bacon one. Now I I seem to remember. When you tried the Lester's Fixes, we have video of it somewhere. When you tried the uh, ranch dressing soda at Midwest Gaming Classic in 
2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it was uh, Dan Lambert from Underground Retrocade, like actually got the video of it, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. You said that it tasted kind of like Sprite and crayons. Yeah. So let me see what I think of it. Uh, oh, I'm so not looking forward to this. Thankfully, I have some lemonade here to wash things down with in case this is really nasty. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, at first... Okay, it's really weird. As I said before, I like this better than the sweet corn one. I could not stand the sweet corn one. This one, I drank the whole bottle. This tastes like sour cream that's just about ready to go bad. <laughs> when it loses some of its zing, and you know you're not going to have any more. That's what this tastes like. And the aftertaste kind of tastes like sour cream, but with a little bit of sugar in it. I still say it tastes like a crayon. I can see that. I can totally dig that. But I'm not fin- I am not finishing this. I finished the other ones. This one, no. This one, I I'm just gonna flush it down the toilet. There's a little bit of a rust buildup around the very, very, very top. <laughs> I think this'll clear it out. If the battery connection cables in your uh, car are corroded, you can use it. Oh, yeah, I I don't think they're I don't, I don't think I gotta worry about that. So yeah, ranch dressing, bleh, forget it. Let's talk about something a little bit more pleasant, shall we? We shall. Okay, this is a game that I played at Underground Retrocade. In fact, the only times I ever played it was at under were at Underground Retrocade. <laughs> I almost made a subject verb disagreement there. And this is Pigskin 621 AD. The 621 uh wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aha! Pigskin 621 AD. <laughs> Six, uh, Sixkin Tigs tw- Pigs 21 AD. Yeah. Whatever. Um, anyway, this is a uh, arcade game released in 1990 by Bally Midway, and it is designed by uh, Jeff Nauman and King Henry VIII, uh, Brian Cullen, that is, with uh, Brian doing mostly the uh, character design and uh, Jeff Nauman doing the programming. And uh, this is interesting because it seems to me that Brian does all the artwork on the cabinet, but there's a cabinet artwork credit that's not him. So I'm not quite sure what the deal is there. Oh, you know what? Actually, I take it back. It just says cabinet designers. So it could be, you know what? It's, it's probably not the art itself, just the cabinet. Because it is an unusual cabinet. The cabinet itself is pretty big because the idea is that two players are playing at the same time. So it's a little bit wider than usual. And it's a little bit deeper than usual too. And it's a very intricate design because the back of the cabinet where the marquee is, it's kind of like a glass with uh, characters painted on it. And in the background, there's a field painted on it. So it has a little bit of a faux 3D effect going on. It is quite a cabinet to behold. And we can thank Greg Tastad and Ray Shaika for that, uh, if I'm pronouncing them correctly. And uh, my research says that the artwork is by Linda Deal, Tim Elliott, and Greg Freris. And um, I would think that Brian would have done that. But oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. And the music and sounds by Dan Forden, who I believe is a... uh, usually in charge of the music and sound for the games that the crew now known as Game Refuge worked on. That's uh, Brian and Jeff, of course. So what is this pigskin 621 AD? Well, first of all, it is not to be confused with Power Pigskin, which is a handheld from 1979. I think it's one of those LCD things. It's also not to be confused with the pigskin electromechanical game from the 30s. 
and also it is not to be confused with Dirty Pigskin Football from 2004. The idea of Pigskin 621 AD is that it's kind of a Dark Ages rugby. At least that's what Brian Cohen said. Now, Brian has said that he is not really a sports guy, and I personally don't know rugby, but nothing in the manual or anything else says specifically that it's rugby or football. But here's what I can tell you. If I don't know if you're going to mention this yet or not, but the subtitle of the game is Ancient Arch Rivals on a Rampage. Which is nowhere on the cabinet, by the way. No, it isn't, but that the article I pulled up actually says that, so... yeah. Yeah, it's in the uh, manual, and I think it's on the flyers. So you see what they did there? They mentioned Arch Rivals and uh, Rampage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's think in about the promotional th- materials. Yeah, but think about this. This is basically an Arch Rivals equivalent. If you know how to play, if you know the basic rules of American football, then you can play Pigskin 62180 even. You could play this game pretty easily. And it's basically that combined with Arch Rivals, but set in the Dark Ages. And um, because it's kind of like Arch Rivals, there are no penalties. And the gameplay doesn't stop. Like, for example, if you throw the... Well, it's not called a football. It's not called a ball. It's called a pigskin. That's how it's referred to in all the documentation that I can find on this game. If you throw the pigskin, the pass will always be caught unless the receiver gets attacked or falls down a pit or something. And even if the pass is incomplete, unlike with, say, American football, the gameplay does not stop. It continues. Just whoever grabs it, grabs it, and you run with it. And uh, the gameplay consists of four periods of about three and a half minutes each. And, of course, what you want to do is bring the pigskin, carry the pigskin into your enemy's territory over the goal line, as it were. And you want to prevent your enemy from doing the same to your goal line. And again, because it's like arch rivals, you basically beat the crap out of each other. And in fact, there are weapons lying around like swords and things that you can pick up. Uh, You pick up a weapon simply by running over it. Your teammates can pick up the weapons by running over the weapons and uh, they're put in use automatically. And I'll get to that more in uh, just a little bitty bit. And uh, one thing that I really, really love about pigskin 621 AD is what's called the grapple. What is a grapple? A grapple is basically a big brawl that erupts on the field. Basically kind of like in American football, if there's a fumble and the whole, and like all 22 players are scrambling for the ball. It's kind of like that, but much more violent. In fact, you might see some heads being decapitated and things, but it's very silly, very cartoony. You don't actually see what's going on because there's a big cloud of dust over everything. Basically like a Tom and Jerry cartoon or a Warner Brothers cartoon. And uh, when a grapple happens... If any of the players has a concealed weapon that was picked up on the field, that weapon will be used. In fact, sometimes when a grapple is over, you'll see a player lying on the field with a sword through his back. Oh, neat. I, lo- I love that. That's a, I, I just love that so much. And uh, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the two different teams. There are two teams. There's a red team and there's a blue team. Uh, it appears to me that the red team is supposed to be Vikings. Because they wear what is supposed to be Viking helmets, even though Viking helmets did not have horns. Yes, that's right. Any of you who draw Viking helmets with horns in them, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Those are drinking horns. 
The reason that they they show up on the old artwork is because when the bodies were dug up, it was thought that those were horns in their helmets that uh, fell off at some point since they were buried. But no, Vikings were buried with drinking horns. That's what those are. Um, I have Viking to mention helmets here, didn't have horns, period. I, I have to mention here, I've talked about the Norway store before, and uh, they actually sell fake Viking helmets with the horns in the gift shop. Well, actually, in the gift portion. Well, the horns the make them fake. Well, yeah, but I'm saying they're, they're even more fake. Yeah, but let me talk about the teams. You got your blue team, you got your red team, and each team has a captain. The position that the captain holds is called grunt back. The captain of the blue team, which player one controls, is named Thor Aikenback. Get it? Thor uh, Thor Aikenback because his back is Thor. Thorfrin, fuck And Thor is uh, the guy with the helmet that has blue horns. Actually, I take it back. The blue team is the Vikings. The red team is the non-Vikings. And the captain of the red team is Attila Desoiled. You can tell which one the captain is because each captain has a big mask shielding his face. If you can't see his face, it's one of the captains. And the captain, of course, is player one, player two. And aside from the captains, each team also has three forwards. And the forwards consist of two pork blockers. And kind of like the grunt backs, what they do is they try to cover the entire field. And the other forward is called a running boar. And the running boar tries to stay in the enemy territory. And each team has two guards. There are two types of guards. There's a goal squatter and a hog tackle. And they tend to stay around to hang out around midfield, kind of as a last line of defense. And I will tell you about each of the teams. On blue team, the guy playing the position of running boar is Odin in a way. And he has, uh, <laughs> but he has uh, blonde eyebrows and a beard and his helmet has basic claw shaped horns. Uh, inaccurate. <laughs> anyway, there's the, uh, pork blocker for the blue team. His name is Eric Rotkoff and he has red hair and a beard. Ooh, Eric the red. Oh, 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 Rot is German for red. Oh, 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 oh. Let me check. Let me check something up. I think I, I think I spotted something. Translate.google.com. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, I thought I was on to something. Oh, boy. Oh, well. Eric Rutkopf has uh, red hair and a beard, even though he's on the blue team. Go figure that out. And then there's Klaus Shave, who has a blonde mohawk. At Hog Tackle on the blue team, you have Ox Zimoron. <laughs> <laughs> I, we should have covered this last year. And he oh, wears yes. just a pretty simple blue hat that has uh, S-shaped horns. Again, inaccurate if they're supposed to be Vikings. And the goal squatter for the blue team is Olaf Bakerson. Uh, he's a bald guy. He looks kind of like a cross between Mr. Clean and Tor Johnson, but he's too fat to be Mr. Clean, too thin to be Tor. So somewhere in between. And on the red team, at running boar position, you have Wizened Recluse, W-R-E-C-K-L-O-O-S-E, and he's the guy with shaggy white hair. The pork blockers are Mondo Pitstain. Uh, he has blue hair and a beard, even though he's uh, on the red team. And Shaman Dishonor. Shaman Dishonor. <laughs> Pretty sure it's supposed to be pronounced Shaman, but hey. He's the bald guy with a pointy chin, red headband, and white thingies over his ears at point down. They look kind of like coiled horns or something. At hog tackle for the red team, you have Hex Khan, who's got stubble, a red hat with a neck cover, and <laughs> some white furry trim on that uh, Hex uh, hat. <laughs> and at goal squatter, you have Othello Dare, who's got stubble and a turban. Othello, Othello Dare. I get it. Ah, uh, uh, okay. 
Oh, by the way, a uh, big freaking surprise. All these names were dreamed up by uh, Brian F. Colon. Gee, there's a shock. Who has proudly expressed his love for bad puns. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, the control panel in the game, you got two joysticks, one for each potential player. And each joystick has two pass buttons under it, so you can play left-handed or right. There's a punch button and kind of a strategy button, both of which are in the middle below the joysticks because, hey, that way you can play with a left hand or the right hand. And I should explain the strategy button. It's not actually labeled strategy, but above the strategy button, it says in big letters, team. And in small parenthized letters, it says attitude adjustment. And what that does is it tackles, tackles? No, toggles among three different attitudes that your team will have. If your team is on offense, then those different attitudes or strategies or whatever, you have block and you have scatter. And um, on defense, the options are get ball, which basically means you're just going to run after the ball, and man-to-man, which means basically it's one person guards another person. Uh, You're not all crowded around somebody. And both offense and defense have a bad attitude strategy, which basically can be a lot of fun. That's all I'm going to say about that. At the top of the screen on the left, it tells you the attitude of player one's team. And on the right, it tells you the attitude of player two's team. And you can also tell what attitude each team has by looking at the trim outside of the monitor. On the left side, uh, you have all six attitudes, three for offense, three for defense, and that's for player one. And on the right side, you have the same thing for player two. And each of those attitudes has a backlight behind it. And whichever one is lit up, that's what the attitude is. So that was a pretty cool feature, if not eh, terribly unnecessary. But uh, there's also a feature in which if one team falls way, way, way behind, then the team that's way behind will get a troll added as a player to help make things a little bit more interesting, help hopefully even up the score. So that's a, that's a fascinating uh, feature there. Also a fascinating feature is when you start the game, you can kind of choose a skill level. Uh, the one I always use is no experience necessary because I'm a wuss, basically. And it's, it's really weird. It's hard to describe because there are three different skill levels to start from. And it's one skill per column that you use the joystick to move back and forth for. But there are only two columns. It's kind of like when you move over to the right column, the left column changes to something else. And it's kind of, it's really hard to explain, but when you actually see it in action, it makes some sense. Although I don't know why they don't just have three separate columns, but hey, I didn't think to uh, do some follow-up research on that. Scoring. I should talk about scoring in the game. Just like with American football, if there's a touchdown, you score six points. Uh, There's no extra point attempt. There's no two-point conversion, but... When you score a touchdown, if your team had possession of the ball for more than a minimum amount of time, uh, some sources say it's 10 seconds, but I have an official source that says it's five seconds, you get a point. So uh, isn't that something? And by the way, the game starts with a kickoff, and Mm -hmm. after a touchdown is scored, there is a kickoff as well. Well, each half starts with a kickoff. And uh, the kickoff is totally controlled by the computer. It's just a general kickoff. There's no strategy involved at all. The first half, by the way, takes place outdoors, like out in a big field. And the second half takes place indoors. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be inside a castle or what. In both cases, there are obstacles you kind of have to avoid or else you're, you, you'll trip. 
And if the player carrying the ball trips, Trip, tripping. then that player fumbles the ball, and most likely the opponent will pick up the fumble. Outside, you'll, you could trip over uh, a pile of rocks, a tree trunk, a, a pile of bones, things like that. And you can trip over, well, not tree trunks, but you could... You can trip over other things inside. I don't uh, like there are dinner tables out there with candles on them for some reason. You can trip on those things. Uh, what I really love is inside. There are like open trap doors that I that probably lead to dungeons or something, and players can fall down into those things. And uh, that's really cool. I love that. I love making players do that, and uh, they scream when they fall down too. So that's a, that's a nice effect there. And um, that's one way that a player can be knocked out of commission for a little bit is to fall down a pit. Another way that a player can be knocked out of commission is if a weapon is used on a player during a grapple. The exception being a captain. Captains are immune to injury. But if somebody gets seriously injured during a grapple, then that player will be completely out of commission until either a goal is scored or the next half begins, whichever comes first. So, yeah, uh, lots of fun. Lots of fun with that. Uh, I think I covered uh, the actual gameplay as necessary, but I do want to go over a couple of uh, fun facts about uh, Pigskin 621 AD. Uh, What is unique about Pigskin 621 AD is, well, kind of like Arch Rivals, if you put in one credit in the middle of the game, just all of a sudden the game will pause and you'll have a countdown asking you to put in another credit, like a quarter token, whatever, to continue the game. There is an option in which you can actually pre-purchase an entire four-period game for a two. It's either a two or three credit discount. Oh, so that's a nice little feature. That's a nice touch, and uh, that nice touch that you just complimented uh, led to the discovery of a bug in the original release of Pigskin Six Twenty One AD. When Pigskin first came out, earnings were doing really, really, really well. They were climbing, 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 and then suddenly they fell off at certain locations. That happened about eight weeks into the release, and they found out there were other locations where earnings were doing really, really well and then suddenly tanked. And they're like, what the hell's going on? Are people really that not interested in it anymore? And it turned out that wasn't the case at all. What they figured out was if you were in a one player, I think this is the combination that triggers it. If you were in a one player game and then a second person joined and opted to prepay for the full game, then after the game was over, the machine was on free play until it was turned off Interesting and rebooted. So yeah, that was uh, interesting. And I think what, if I remember correctly, Pigskin 621 AD has the unique distinction of being a game in which the attract mode doesn't show you the gameplay at all. Really? Really. But what it does show you is a P.O. box address you can send a self-addressed stamped envelope to, pardon the dangling preposition, to get a free player's handbook, including rules, strategies, pigskin product information that is a little catalog you can order pigskin paraphernalia. Oh, interesting. Uh, game tips, designer's notes. And the P.O. box was uh, Plano, Illinois, which makes me wonder if that was Jeff Nauman's personal P.O. box. Because I remember <laughs> before, Brian told us that Jeff's from Plano. Yeah. Brian's from Brian's from Homewood, Jeff's from Plano. Plano's the last uh, city in the original Rampage. And guess why? Because Jeff Nauman lives there. Because Jeff Nauman lives there, or is from there, or something. There's one small 
building. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I did some looking around to see if there was a, if anybody actually had that. And you know what? There is a copy online and guess who's going to link that in the show notes. But somebody will, somebody will, if somebody oh. remembers. So, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit about, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pigskin 621 AD. The only home version that came out surprisingly was actually a slightly modified version called Jerry Glanville's pigskin football. Who is Jerry Glanville? He no is clue. a former NFL coach. Oh, who coached uh, the Lions for a while? We'll forgive him for that. Uh, the Falcons. He coached the Buffalo Bills, the Houston Oilers. Uh, he coached in college too, as well. Uh, overall record: sixty-three and seventy-three in the NFL, and nine and twenty-four in college. Yeah. Uh, I'll reserve my comments about that. But, uh, but yeah, and uh, Jerry Glanville's pigskin. F- Actually, I take it back. It's called Jerry Glanville's pigskin foot brawl. And uh, that was on the Sega Genesis. Uh, And uh, what's unique about that that makes it different from the arcade game is there are actual Jerry Glanville sound bites in the Genesis game. Oh, speaking of sound bites, one thing I I would like to mention is that some of the sound bites that are in Arch Rivals are also in Pigskin 621 AD. Oh, I'm open! Because one of the options you can do, just like with the Arch Rivals, is if you don't have the ball and you hit the pass button, you're actually yelling to the ball carrier to pass you the ball. And uh, so it's it's kind of like that. The uh, pass button both actually makes you pass, and if you hold down the pass button, you're going to see multiple passing options scroll on the screen. And when you see the one you want, let go of the button and uh, the pass will be made. And uh, assuming that the intended receiver doesn't get tackled or decapitated or something, <laughs> he will catch the ball. He will. And something that I've found, and this is kind of uh, one of the tips that they give you in Arch Rivals, is that if you pass the ball around generously, you're not a ball hog or anything, you have a better chance of scoring a goal. Hmm. Speaking of which, there are no field goals in this either, just touchdowns and the bonus points for ball possession. So, yeah, that, um, in a large nutshell, is uh, Pigskin 621 AD. Now, Jimmy G, can you share some insight? Well... One thing we haven't done on the podcast in a while is a dramatic reading. Oh. And I was just looking through some of the information on Pigskin, and there's a dram- something that's deserving of a dramatic reading in the uh, operating manual. Do tell. So, shall we? Oh, do tell. Yes, do. Yes. <clears throat> Pigskin, 621 AD. Ancient arch rivals on a rampage. The rigors of day-to-day existence in the early part of the 7th century AD were far more severe than those most of us face today. It is no surprise, then, that the era produced role models of a slightly different sort. Men like Attila Desoiled, whose infamous mongrel horde spent much of their free time sweeping across Central Asia into the dustbins of Eastern Europe. Men like Thor Aikenbach, the renegade Viking whose piercing battle cry, Loot and pillage, loot and pillage, let's go find us an English village. In the Dark Ages, the world's wildest warriors had a word for mind-blowing, bone-crunching, heart-stopping excitement. Pigskin. Pigskin 621 AD is a thoroughly researched, unflaggingly faithful recreation 
of those exciting, fictitious days of yore when good, clean fun was simply known as fun. Each player directly controls one of a half-dozen hulking barbarians in a bone-crushing battle for the ball across a medieval countryside. The object of the game, to inflict as much pain and suffering as possible on the opposition and carry the pigskin back to your stronghold, your ship or your castle, more times than your opponent can and thereby win the battle. Thank you. So, what do I have to say about Arch Rivals? Not a lot. Uh, well, we I, already talked about Arch Rivals. What about uh, Pigskin 621 AD? Well, I will talk about that too. I don't have much to say about that either. Oh. Uh, seeing as I've only actually played it once. And Where? I have seen it at the, it was either at the Aladdin's Castle or the Putt-Putt Golf and Games in Joliet. I can't remember which one I saw it at. But never played it because I just, I avoided most sports games other than, um, other than say, track and field. And Atari football. Well, that was easy to avoid, though, because it was hard to find pretty much anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But I pretty much avoid most sports games. So I never really played this one up until last year, I think it was, at uh, Galloping Ghost. And I haven't really gotten a chance to play it recently. So as far as my rating goes, I'm going to give my rating right now. Uh, I, I really don't have enough experience with this one to rate it. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to rate it a three. Fair enough. Uh, because I don't have enough experience one way or the other. I can't fairly judge this game based on one play. Uh, I do want to get a hold of that manual, though, or that uh, that booklet you were talking about, because that might actually may, uh, help me out playing this game. Because at the very least, with like uh, games like Mortal Kombat, and that you had to go out to the store and buy a manual of... You know, the moves yeah. and all that other crap. Whereas with a game like this, they actually offered it for free. So, you know, you got to give Brian and Jeff, uh, Brian Cole and Jeff Nauman, the guys over at uh, Game Refuge, credit for uh, for doing that. Well, so, you know, Game Refuge didn't exist in 1990. Well, but, you know. Jeff and Brian basically created Game They're Refuge. Team. They, so they existed in yeah. spirit. You got to give him that. So, But at yeah, the very least, you got to give them credit for having a manual for free or a, a guidebook or a strategy guide, whatever you called it, for free. So I'll give him credit for that. So, yeah, give him credit. Give him credit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to rate this a three and go from there. I mean, it looks like a good... It looks... The game... I have a hard time with sports in general, so I don't have really that much fun with sports games, although I have to say recently I was playing NBA Jam and I was actually enjoying it. So figure that out. Well, I, I like NBA, NBA Jam. Which we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. If there's one criticism I have for this game, just the limited play and whatever, is the cabinet is not, in my opinion, eye-catching, uh, nor the... Really? Uh, yeah, I, it just looks dark, and the, the color selection just doesn't attract me. And that's just me. That's just me. That's just, you know, personal. So uh, I'm going to, like I said, giving it a three, because I don't have enough experience with it one way or the other. All right. I, <laughs> I have to give this a five. I have to give this a five and for a couple of reasons. First of all, I believe I gave Arch Rivals a four and I loved Arch Rivals. I like Pigskin a little bit better. And also because this is one of those games that it makes me laugh. You actually gave Arch Rivals a five. Oh, I did. Okay. Yes. Then I definitely have to give Pigskin a five again, because it made me laugh. It absolutely made me laugh. 
And uh, that is a trademark mm-hmm. of, say, what King Henry VIII likes to do with his games. He yeah. said that he wants to make somebody laugh, kind of like how in uh, Rampage, when your character at the end of the game kind of slinks away naked and embarrassed, you know, that's in mm-hmm. uh, the facial expressions on George and Ralph and them. Any game that Jeff Nauman and Brian Cullen created from the ground up, not ones that they were necessarily involved with, like Tron, or like Discs of Tron, but oh, yeah, right. but, uh, but games that they created always have humor. Even Spy Hunter 2 has its touches of humor, which well, we haven't talked about yet, but uh, but yeah, they're good for a laugh, and uh, if you ever get a chance to meet Brian Cullen, you'll understand why there's humor in, his, oh, yeah. in him and Jeff's uh, creations. Yeah, I really would like to s- spend some time with Jeff sometime, like talk with him. Uh, I've I've met him only briefly a couple of times, and just you know, just to see what makes him tick. We spent considerable time with Brian Colin, and of course we see him all the time when we're at an event or he he's at Galloping Ghost a lot. So uh, we see a lot of him from time to time, but not much of Jeff. I'd love to see like what's behind his mind. Mm-hmm. I know it's behind his mind, and it's called a uh, the back of his skull. But hey, hopefully he didn't slam it hard on concrete like I did. Ah. Uh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, because this game made me laugh. I mean, I was laughing out loud. I love the cartooniness of it. This, I love the grapples. I love when those things happen and I see body parts falling off. <laughs> I mean that you cannot not love that. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, that's uh pigskin 621 AD. Um, I, I'm a big fan. I, I am such a big fan of it and uh, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I wonder if he has any more of those. If they have any more pigskin caps, they're only six ninety five, two dollars shipping and handling. Illinois residents yeah, had six. But that was in nineteen ninety. That was like a million dollars back then. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, uh, I really, I'm really out of things to say except even well the high scores. This is crazy. There's nothing listed on Twin Galaxies for a high score for this, but it does have a track, which I wish I would have known when I went to Underground Retrocade. Because I would have uh, videotaped myself and have Scott like get me some uh, footage of the dip switches so I could submit it. Here is the rules. <laughs> oh, excuse me. That's a nice rule. Here are the rules that Twin Galaxies has for the track of Pigskin 621 AD. This is a one player only variation. <gasps> you must complete all four quarters and win by at least one point, or your attempt will be disqualified. Wow. You may freely insert a credit for each quarter. This game will use the special blowout rules for spinal spinal for final score, where it is tabulated by how many points you have won by. Example, if you beat the computer 21 to 3, your final score will then be 18, which is how many points you've won by. You must win by at least one point or your record slash attempt will be disqualified. Only the first match will count. And there are no records for that yet. And it says player challenge selection equals normal game time pre medium preset. And that's the same setting for orcade.com, which lists Jacob Glenn having the highest score of six performed at tokens and tankards on September 3rd, 2016. I was in, I got in the thirties at underground retrocade. I should have done something about that. And tokens and tankards being, uh, the, being a very short lived, uh, barcade in, Arlington Heights. Yeah, I think we touched upon that previously. Yeah, we, Brian talked about that when he was on our show. <clears throat> King Henry VIII talked. Sorry yeah, about he the did, name didn't dropping. he? Yes, which King uh, Henry VIII mentioned it. He liked that place, I think. 
which uh, that was all the way back episode 24. Yeah. Wow, it's been that long. Holy crap. It's only it's almost been almost 75 episodes. Uh, 70, yeah, well, it's uh, 64, Six. 66. Okay. That's yeah. 66 episodes ago. Holy crap. We've been doing this a long time. Indeed. Indubitably. <sighs> so, hey, Pigskin 621 AD. I think I've seen this at the Aladdin's Castle at uh, Louis Joliet Mall. I just never really played it until recently. So Now, I'm thinking here, so if you follow the Twin Galaxies rule, you could score the most points ever, let's say 50 points, okay? Just for example. Yeah. But if you lost the game, you don't get the record. Right. Because the the way that Twin Galaxies takes a score is the difference between your score and the opponent's score. Mm. If you scored 50 and your opponent scored, say, 55, then your score would be negative 5. Hmm, interesting. And it specifically says that you have to win the game. Okay. It just, I guess I see their point, but it's still, I mean, if I score, like, if the world record number of points you score is 50, and you got 50, but you still lost. And according know. to their rules, you didn't get 50. Yeah. You got that's weird. Fifty minus what you you it's got weird, a negative score. It's weird, but I score. understand it. Let's put it that way. You have to win the game, and their scoring is the difference between your score and your opponent's score. It looks like arcade is just simply whatever your score was, right? But yeah. So I think we should reveal the theme now. Which well, before uh, we do, let's finish up with Eugenio. Oh yes, I had forgotten about that, and I actually closed yeah, out since, the email. Uh, yeah, why don't you uh, tell us what he said about uh, number five, Boulder Dash. Here we have another one of those games that started life as a home computer game and then was adapted to the arcades. Though I know there are several home versions of this game, the first one I played was the Atari 8-bit version, which is the original game. I own a 5200 conversion of the game as well as the sequel titled Boulder Dash 2. Oh, by the way, uh, the reason why I didn't mention any ports for Boulder Dash because I thought that was kind of pointless because the arcade game yeah. is the point. So Yeah, I agree with that. So, anyway, I own a... If you want to find out uh, more about it, you can listen to that episode of the Antic Podcast, which I had mentioned in that portion. Really? Can I? You can. Oh. But nobody else. Anyway, I own a 5200 conversion of the game as well as the sequel title, Boulder Dash 2. I also have the 2600 and Intellivision versions. I was an executive producer for the latter, so that must be homebrew. Uh, Both of which are great adaptations in their own right. Now, the 2600 version, was that ever released? Was that released in limited quantities? I think that was limit, released in limited quantities because they only got a, a certain number of licenses from First Star Software because they wanted to do it on the up and up and they got the right to do it. Uh, it cost them some money. Oh, by the way, First Star Software doesn't exist anymore. They got bought out by a German company whose name is escaping me at the moment. But if you go to, uh, if you Google Boulder Dash, the official Boulder Dash website would give you all that information. Uh, anyway, of course. The arcade version, though, is one I have never seen or tried. I wonder if these are rare, as I would have expected seeing one at PRGE or FPF. I wonder if these are rare, as I would have expected seeing one at PRGE, which is the Portland Retro Game Expo, or FPF, Free Play Florida. In any case, this is certainly one fun game that I find most addicting. The gameplay may appear simple, and it may remind the player of games like Dig Dug or Mr. Do, given the digging mechanic, but Boulder Dash is quite different, as there are puzzle elements to the game, and there is a timer to contend with. Never mind the enemies that also have to be avoided. Collecting the diamonds can get tricky, and figuring out each level becomes harder and harder as one advances in the game. Uh, I got nothing to add to what Eugenio said to Boulder Dash, so hey, let's go to number six. Pick skin, pick, pick, pig skin 621 AD. Here is another game I'm not familiar with. From looking online, it appears to be a type of football game, uh, rugby, but with characters that remind me of brutal sports football for the Jaguar. 
I'll, I'll get back to that in a sec, actually. There are even weapons the player can use. Axes, maces, nooses. Uh, wait, shouldn't the plural of nooses be niece? Oh, well. Uh, scythes, spears, swords, and torches. I know there's a Sega Genesis version, but the title got changed to Pigskin Foot Brawl. I suppose it makes sense after all. This looks like a fun game, so I'm curious to see what you guys say about this one. I may want to get the Genesis port. Um, I took a quick peek, by the way, of, at the Genesis port. It looks pretty strikingly similar to the arcade version. Yeah? So it's probably it's probably pretty good. Uh, the uh, Brutal Sports Football, yeah, I thought about that. And I wonder, actually, let me do some quick looky-uppy of Brutal Sports Football. <laughs> Brutal Sports Football does indeed come later, and it actually does look like it uh, was extremely likely ba- like inspired by, um, 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 what the hell's the name of the game? Pigskin 621 AD. Because you got characters wearing fake Viking helmets and things. And this, oh yeah, and this is also interesting. Uh, it might also have been an eventual inspiration for Bru- for Mutant League Football. Oh. And uh, which, of course, I've heard our of bragging that. point for that, we're going to name drop again. We got to interview Tim Kitzrow last year, who did the play-by-play for that game, and there's yep. a new version of it out. So, Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast. Boom shakalaka. Yeah. But, yeah, and it's it's just kind of like how Basket Brawl on the uh, at- newer Atari consoles, the 7800 and the Lynx, that was most likely inspired by Arch Rivals. Mm-hmm. In fact, Arch Rivals, the uh, the full name of Arch Rivals is Arch Rivals A Basket Brawl. I think I mentioned that I've got a 7800 multi-card here that's got Basket Brawl on it. And I was playing that with my son for a little bit, and I was actually having a good time uh, with that game. Uh, the Atari 7800 gets a lot of flack for not having good sports games. But both of the golf games and both of the basketball games on it are really good. Yeah, the only golf game I played on it was Ninja Golf. and then t- I have played uh, Mean 18, which is really good. It's a really good version of that. And I've played, uh, of course, Ninja Golf. I've also played uh, one-on-one basketball, which I had when I originally got my 7800. And they did a really good job with that one. Me and my brother, we used to play that It's one. decent. And uh, basketball was really fun on it. And, uh, yeah, uh, do we have anything else we need to add about any of this stuff? Nope. Of course, we know our theme, since this is episode 90, was uh, games that came out in 1990, except, uh... uh I screwed only, up. We, we kind of split the difference in, uh, um, uh, Boulder Dash. So the theme is actually arcade games that we each rated based on just one play. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. True. So, or pigskin or, for you, or Boulder Dash for me. Or I was or, thinking about this games that had a version released in the arcade in 1990. Nah. See, because while I talked well, about yeah. the 1984 Ooh, Boulder Dash, good recovery, Jimmy G. Good save. Mm-hmm. That that's very good. That's very good. All right. So, so we got two so, saves. So, yep, we absolutely do. Ah. Even though we haven't been really good at keeping up this habit, we tried at the beginning that every 10 episodes or so, we'd kind of uh, do something a little bit off path, off path, off beat, off the beaten path, I guess. So we're going to do that with episode 91 since uh, this is just episode 90. So for episode 91, we're going to go off the arcade topic and uh, we're going to talk about the 16-bit computers that Jimmy G and I had as really our main computers and our sometimes gaming systems. Mm-hmm. 
Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, good, mm-hmm. good, good. That's uh, that's something. Uh, It'll something, be our sixteen-bit uh, episode. Yeah, sixteen-bit. Uh, Take that, Antic Podcast. You're only eight-bit. Ha! A sixteen-bit episode for a two-bit podcast. What do you think about ooh. that? Ooh, ooh, I like it. While I'm at it, I should thank some people for sending us uh, their two bits. Oh, I think you're very welcome. And a little bit more. Oh, you weren't talking about me. How's about that for a, for a segue? How about that? So thank you, Richard Valdez, Atari Bytes, D. Alex, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Kyle Etter, PJ Steele, New Balance Store, New, uh, New Balance Store, New Balance Store, Phoenix, so Phoenix. There we go. Uh, Art Guglielmo, Nate Lockhart, Michael D'Angelo, Rory Coleman, Steve Steiner, Tim Foley, Underground Retrocade, Richard Grounds, and Keith Sheehan. Oh, whom I also saw uh, on Sunday. Uh, had a literally had a beer with him and Duke, and uh, we went to the Retrocade, and of course we patronized uh, Vans Frozen Custard. Ding, uh, Vans. How would you like to sponsor a local podcast? Talk to me. But anyway, all these people were kind enough to uh, contribute financially to Pie Factory Podcast, go into our operating costs, and you may do that as well by going to Patreon.com/slash Pie Factory Podcast. Hey. And, um, yeah, and, uh, thank you all for, for listening and, uh, thank you for the underground retrocade for providing, uh, uh, some pigskin time for me so I could do my proper research and thank you to Boulder Dash for sucking. And I'd also like to thank the Beatles for starting it up for us. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So we will talk to you all in a couple weeks. I guess so. Yeah. Yes. German Shepherd Dog. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory Podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. The reason that is a redundancy is because every time I ever saw a list of dog breeds, you'd see things like Basset Hound, Beagle, Dachshund, uh, Petit Basset Griffon Vendéon, Malamute, German Shepherd Dog. Wait, so why that one breed? We, uh, why I've, do they have to put the word dog in there? I've actually never heard someone refer to it as German Shepherd Dog. That's because nor, that's because people talk; they don't have to say that. But when, you, but if you look at an official list of breeds, it will say German Shepherd Dog. Oh, I mean, seriously, are you? Do you honestly think? We're going to see German Shepherd in a list of dog breeds and think that you're talking about some guy named Hans who's like trying to gather a bunch of sheep. It's like dairy cow cow. I mean, I mean, I know it's a dog. You don't have to tell me that. I don't see Beagle dog, Malamute dog, Siberian Husky dog. Dog dog. Dachshund dog. Dachshund. And since Hunt, Hunt is German for for dog, that means dog, like Dachs dog dog, Dachs I Hunt. guess. Ooh, yeah. And hunt, and, and hunt meaning, like, referring to hunter, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, do, do you see Lhasa Apso dog? No, it's Lhasa Apso. Do you see Shih Tzu dog? Well, when I'm sitting on the toilet. I, I don't know. I Why do they have to say dog after that? I know it's a dog. Probably just to irritate you? Probably just to irritate me. There we go. People like to do that. <sighs> anyway. With that, it's time to... Sh- it's time to sharp... It's time... Shart. With that, it's yeah. time to start sharing. Well, actual- if he really wants us to shart, well. <laughs>
Oh, Spock! Wait, that's Shat. Hmm. And now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. There is an option in Pigskin 621 AD. Wow. They should have incorporated that in the game. Oh, man. Uh, Brian, Jeff, if you guys are listening, consider that in a future Game Refuge game. Ooh. Although I do believe it has a similar kind of theme, except Dirty Pigskin Football is about regular American football, whilst. Excuse me. Wow, oh, burping. The burp, the burp was so much better than the actual drinking. We haven't done burp along the burp along with Sean theme in a while. Well, yeah, because we haven't really incorporated the burps lately. But uh, 